0: Welcome to The Real Deal, where we get real about what it takes to succeed. Whether it's wealth, health, relationships, or finding your purpose, we talk to the masters to uncover the secrets to defying the odds and creating your own rock star legacy. legacy. I'm Doug, and after working on multiple Grammy-winning records as an author, transformational speaker, and your personal trans coach, I'm committed to your growth and success. And now, wow. here's the real deal. All right. So, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So, are you feeling challenged? Are you feeling anxious? Maybe a little depressed, stressed out. Are you waking up with nighters? Well, then GuidedHypnotic.com is for you. Today's episode is brought to you by Guided Hypnotic. Bust your anxiety with your free download of your Guided Hypnotic meditation at GuidedHypnotic.com. This is sponsored by, you know, we got to give the sponsors. And today you're going to get the best introduction you've had all day. The best. Here we go. <laughs> Rick Hulse, highly effective and experienced executive with a demonstrated and successful history of working in the management consulting industry, skilled in enterprise business strategy, coaching, business planning, analytical skills, operations management and leadership coaching, strong enterprise business development executive with intensive international expertise, holding a BS. That's Bachelor of Science, right? Uh, Business, economics and finance from the State University of New York College at Oneonta. Giving a little background, Rick and I went to the same elementary school, and uh, probably the last time uh, we saw each other, he was beating the crap out of me. Uh, this is a true story. Um, I don't know what led up to it. I do remember the moment, because you, you were then, and uh, I imagine now, what are you, over six feet tall? Yep. Yeah. I'm not, um, and I think back then you were as well equally taller and larger than I, and uh, I, I remember the moment when I was uh, going to stand up to you in that moment and um, regretted it immediately, but um, then you you went off to another school, and um, so I licked my wounds, and uh, we didn't really see each other much after that, and then out of the blue... Um, what it was right like four years ago, three, four years ago, you reached out to me we were like yeah. connected on Facebook or whatever, and then you reached out and and uh I was like holy crap you're you got you know a lot of great stuff going on, and I was happy to share any resources and it uh you know at first, when I saw your calls or you reached out I was like, why is like like why I, I didn't I didn't quite get why you were uh, like reaching out and then it turned out and then we've been connected since and it's been uh, you know a great blossoming friendship but I just thought I'd preframe with that because sometimes we have like we've reinvented our relationship uh, so I um, yeah, just wanted to kind of preframe with that as we we dig a little bit deeper so maybe some uh, people can you know know that they could heal relationships from the past as well.
1: Yeah, I, it intrigued me what you were doing. And, and, you know, I think Facebook is a platform. It's, it's, been, it's been great personally for me to reconnect people who I've grown up with or stay in touch with, folks that I don't see all the time. But some of the content that you were posting and the description of kind of what your journey was was, was really intriguing. You know, everyone has their own journey. There's no such thing as perfection. And I, and I kind of started to follow what you were doing. And it resonated with me, and that's really why I reached out to you. And it's funny, the first time I did um, reach out to you, I had thought about you many, many times. I had told stories um, to to friends and family and my son when he was growing up about, you know, how I got in a fight when I was in seventh grade with this kid Doug, and how different we were. Ah. And um, you know, I was kind of a big, somewhat quiet kid. And I remember you kind of being brash and out there and kind of rebellious, and 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 you, I won't I won't say you antagonized me, but you were definitely, you know, somewhat type A, and for whatever reason, we we had a grind, and it it, it came to a fight one day after after the cafeteria, and I remember yeah. Mr. Bush, the gym teacher, breaking us up and sending us to the office and all that yeah. other stuff. And, and just one of those life events you, you never forget. Um, but the weird thing is, I always liked you. You were so different than me, even the way we looked. What was mm-hmm. so different? You know, I was this shy, um, preppy kid, you know, tall and and dorky, and you were this like outgoing, rocker type dude. And and from from the outside, you know, you came across as somewhat invincible and 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 gregarious. So it was, uh, it was just one of those experiences you just don't forget.
0: Well, thank you. And I'm, I'm glad we're able to, you know, obviously have these conversations because some people don't get to. Truth is, is that, you know, it's so interesting you say that because that's not how I felt. Like I felt like a dorky, un- I mean, for like my, I mean, still to this day, I feel awkward and uncomfortable sometimes, but then I just let that go because I'm still human. I always feel like an outcast to some degree, uh, but growing up, like my entire, like even high school, like I, I mean, I was well, I was kicked out of every high school as well. But um, I always felt like not invincible. I always felt like awkward and, and uncomfortable. And then I, I didn't want to go to my twentieth. I didn't want to go to any reunion until I was a rock star. Like that was gonna. I wanted to come back and show everybody. And uh, of course, I th- my level of success didn't achieve rock star status. But I, you know, I, I did pretty well. But I remember coming back to a thing and I heard a similar thing from someone that I hadn't, you know, I, I don't even like remember if we had any issues. I just always felt like no one liked me or appreciated me or anything. And they said something similar, like, man, I just always loved the way you, uh, you know, you just were self-expressed and whatever. And I'm like, holy crap, that is not how I felt. Yep. Uh, like, And it's so interesting how that perception, how we, we think people think different things. And, oh, you know, yeah, I... Yeah.
1: we. we presume yeah, we presume things and and we everyone has this shell and yep. I've just learned like if you know if you get to know someone pretty well, you know what you what you perceive and what reality is is often two different things
0: yeah more often than not, and now, especially yeah. today in you know with market social media or marketing sure. you know so there's so much perception where there's you know maybe less meat um, you know I I know I need to improve my marketing skills. So kind of what she see is what you get with me. Um, and generally speaking with humility, I think usually um, what Heidi and I deliver is actually more than what you might think based on what we share. Um, yeah. But uh, so that is awesome that we're able to do that. So what happened after that? You went off to a another school. You guys moved. How did like Cause I, I went to Shamanad after seventh grade. So I didn't come back until I got kicked out of Shamanad in eighth grade. And I don't recall if you were there anymore at that point.
1: So in middle school, at the end of middle school, my parents got divorced and there was, um, you know, there was a, a history of addiction in, uh, in our family, mm-hmm. which really was the catalyst for, for the divorce, you know, now that I look back at it. And for a little while, I went to Ward Melville High School out in Suffolk County, where one of my parents had bought another home, and my other parents still lived in Garden City. And I only stayed there for about six months, and I, I realized just how how different things were. Kind of what a bubble we grew up in in Garden City. How how different that was than you know the rest of the world, and even the rest of Long Island, New York, where where we lived, and I really felt uncomfortable. So you know, I went and and lived. I was the only sibling that went and lived with the other parent. And I went back to Garden City, but I never really spent a lot of time there. I, I went to school there, and we had a a home like a family home in upstate New York, and in Cooperstown here, in fact. And that's where I spent holidays and summers and things like that. And I, I tried to get that connection with my friends at Garden City. Never really never really had that connection again because I really wasn't there a lot to mm. participate in the school activities and, and sports and things like that. So Where the
0: parties got arrested together, like all of those.
1: I, I, just <laughs> never did, I just never did that stuff, you know. And, uh, but I, I developed a great set of friends here in Cooperstown, and they became my high school friends. And, um, and then went off to college, went to St. Bonaventure and had my own uh, issue there. I did well for the most part, um, you know, academically. But behavior-wise, I, I think I experienced something similar to what you experienced at Chaminade. I was at a Catholic college and made some bad decisions and was asked to not live on campus anymore. Mm. And at that point, at that point I, uh, I decided that probably I need to get a fresh start. I went to Oneonta and it was a great experience for me. Uh, there were a lot of kids from Long Island there and a diverse um, set of kids from all backgrounds, which was something, as you know, in Garden City, that's not something we were really exposed to there. You know, it we're pretty insular.
0: Yeah, it's – it's so interesting, like, even when we look at, like, all the interesting challenges going on now, like, you know, Heidi would be like, you know, what did you, and I said, I, I didn't, like, we didn't have, like, we had a few people of color in our school. We never treated them any different. They were just there. There was never really a thing. The only potential issues we had were, like, ah, don't hang out in Hempstead too much. Right. But yeah, that was it. Exactly. There was never we, we we were insular, but not like ooh bad people. As a matter of fact, I was sharing with Heidi. I was like, I will be honest with you, I felt ostracized because I lived in Garden City. So when I hung out, and when I would try and go to Hicksville, or I wanted to go to any other city, oh rich kid from Gar-, like I was the one who was being like you know looked down upon because I came from you know Garden City, and I said, honey, we were the poor kids in Garden yeah. City.
1: It, like, was, it was a weird. It was almost like a it was insular. You're right. There was, there was a certain degree of, uh, kind of reverse. I don't know what you want to call it, but it was, uh, but I, I don't know. I, I, it, it, was a good experience for me. It was, uh, definitely a safe experience, but, um, yeah, I, I learned so much more about the world once I went to Oneonta and mm-hmm. all the different, the different types of folks with different backgrounds, and became friends with them, and frankly, like you said, never looked at these folks as, you know, oh, that's a Jewish person, or oh, that's an that's a Asian person, or that's a black guy, or a girl. It, it just never, it, they were friends, I guess. Yeah. That's the best way to describe it. And we were all there for the same reasons. You know, some were studying to be teachers, some were studying to be accountants, or financial folks, or what, whatever they were there for. And it was just a cool feeling. You know, everyone's kind of in the same boat. And then as college ended, everyone kind of went their own path based on career. And, uh, but for me, it was a great experience. And, and it, uh, it helped me grow quite a bit being, being in such a diverse uh, environment.
0: Beautiful. And then, so how did you get into, because when you reached out to me and then we started talking about like, you know, kind of what you were doing and what I was doing, you were doing some pretty like high level, very strategic, like you know, crazy kind of consulting um, that um, is just you know obviously amazing and and very ad- admirable and honorable. How did you get into that? Like, what was your path to get into what you're doing now?
1: That's a good question. So out of college, you know, when you and I, uh, you know, back in 1992 when I graduated from Orenanta, you know, things were were different you know I think the economy wasn't really that great however technology was sexy at that time and um, I really didn't know what I wanted to do you know my dad worked uh, in the Wall Street sector and he enjoyed his work and he loved it and I interviewed with some folks within his network and there were some opportunities for me to to you know to work in some of those organizations but I didn't I didn't feel that Burn to want to go do that because I had witnessed my dad and the kind of the sacrifices he made from a work-life balance standpoint. That I don't think I wanted to do, you know, and and I know I was young and it, for whatever reason I went with my gut and uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do and and, I, and a friend of ours ran a large uh, insurer here in New York and said, hey, let me put you through a management training program. And you'll get to learn the different aspects of what this business is all about. And it's a year long and you can you know see what it's like. And I did it and I learned a lot. And I, I also learned, I didn't want to be in an office every day, you know, the same thing every mm-hmm. day. And uh, a gentleman locally here uh, ran a, a publisher's rep uh, organization. Believe it or not, there, there were two of them in Cooperstown and uh, I got to work with some really neat publishers that, that publish titles that, that everyone has seen on the newsstand. And I got to work with really cool folks that represented brands like you know absolute vodka or um you know Revere and things like that. And it just I was just thrown into it and I loved it. And the gentleman that I worked for had a ton of passion and a ton of experience. And it allowed me to be able to just have a conversation with anybody and it was all around listening mm. and i should a precursor to this is right after college my dad had sent all of his employees to a school where you learn the socratic method and socratic listening and socratic presentation skills and it's something that spoke to me being able to ask these open ended questions listen to people understand their circumstances and it allowed me to create a bond with people, a genuine bond that they felt I understood their circumstance. And if there was an opportunity for me to help them, I could align that with what they just described to me. So I, I applied that while, while being a publisher's rep. And out of the blue, uh, my stepmother at the time was a recruiter. And there was you know this company, Oracle, which everyone knows now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weren 't as big as they are now, but they were looking for people to uh, help them with their channel program, you know the people that were doing consulting out there. And I learned a lot about that space. and I, I there was a company called Citrix, actually headquartered in Florida. Mm-hmm. and they were a small company at the time. there were only 200 people, I think, at the time. and there was wow. this guy, Mark Templeton, who was the CEO. and I started following them, and, and I noticed that all of our big, gigantic deals at Oracle involved this little company called Citrix, right? And, um, and I went to work for a company that did, you know, they worked in the tool space and big data centers. And then finally I said, you know something, I'm going to, RPI had a, a tech park and an in incubator park. And uh, I hooked up with a consulting group that did consulting around server-based computing. And it really just took off from there. I got to work with some of the largest companies in the world that were evaluating and implementing Citrix and uh, developed a relationship with Citrix, the company and understood their kind of their, the mantra of the way they delivered consulting. I got to advise on, um, on how they delivered consulting. I got to, you know, on a, you know, on an acquaintance level, got to know Mark Templeton, the CEO. Uh, a lot of the, the projects that I was involved with would be mentioned, in their their call to the street to let them know what they're doing and deals that are coming so it just exposed me to a lot of things very early on in life and i started realizing that the the consulting side of things just like in personal life if you don't have your house in order uh, you can buy anything that tells you your life's going to be better but if your house isn't in order it's just going to help you maybe make a bad decision quicker or make Mm -hmm. more bad decisions or whatever you bought is never—you're never, never going to leverage the full utility of why you bought it, or the perception of why you should buy it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I started realizing that. And uh, a friend of mine, who was, you know, in, in between there, I um, I was involved in some startups, some some of which were were sold and things like that, that were very early on. For example, in the server-based hosting environment, you know, where today Office 365, Five is a given. People don't, you know, it's hosted for them mm-hmm. and, uh, and their updates are, are, are uh, delivered remotely. Uh, using Citrix, we had a data center and for small to medium sized businesses that couldn't really afford an IT department, we would deliver all of their desktop applications over the internet using Citrix and it was really early on but people loved it and, uh, and that company was sold, sold that. But, um, you know, moving on from that, it was a learning experience. What did I want to do? And I saw that in the, in the corporate space, the consulting, getting your house in order was more important than ever because they're dealing in, in, in big dog. you're muted.
0: You're, You're muted. What happened here? Can I unmute you? There you go. You there? Nope.
1: Call in. There Am you I back
0: now? Yeah, you're, no, you're back.
1: Okay. So you I heard you lost at you at big dollars. Yeah, so the organizations, the, the big corporate organizations, big dollars, and the idea of helping them from, a, from an operational excellence standpoint, uh, a friend of mine was just getting into that space and wanted to develop a, a business practice around it. And we did things like grow the Operational Excellence Society, for example which had chapters all around the world, a big LinkedIn presence. And through that organization, we were able to connect with, you know, the largest paper companies in the world globally, oil and gas companies, manufacturers, defense contractors, and things like that. And, you know, what we learned quickly, and this is an old saying in consulting is common sense is not so common. getting alignment and buy-in and support from leadership is probably one of the most difficult tasks in a large organization and also sustaining it. So that's, you know, that's how um, kind of my path developed and every day is a learning experience. But the most gratifying thing is taking a lesson learned from interacting with one of these clients from the past and saying, you know, I could apply that to what this challenge is right now that this person's explaining to me. And it's, it's, um, it's really rewarding. I mean, I actually, I really, really love what I do. And I think people sense that too, that I really, really love what I do and I'm genuine, I'm passionate and I love to see people succeed. So whether it's folks that I'm, you know, a group that I'm helping to succeed or an individual, it's, uh, it's really rewarding.
0: Well, I mean that's very clear, and, and you obviously have mastery because sometimes when we talk, I need you, to, you know, like to explain what 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 was that? Because you're on such a high level of, you know, you're you're just you clearly got it. So sometimes your level of expertise goes a little bit over my head, and I go, "Whoa, whoa hold on, bring that down." Um, and that is obviously. From all the years of experience that you you have, and the the application, the questions that you ask, you have vast knowledge. Share how like startups. I know a lot of people. You know it, it sounds sexy, um, and my understanding of the amount of businesses that succeed, that startups that succeed, it's also very risky. Um, which is why, obviously, you want to put your house in order, get your teams together, and make sure you're doing it appropriately. What kind of goes through your head as far as navigating or mitigating any fears, challenges? Um, Sometimes, have you had people kind of come in and say, ah, dude, you know, that's not uh, going to be a good venture, and, you know, things that maybe when you didn't listen – and you made a success or maybe you did listen and then it turned into a success that slipped through your fingers did you have any of those types of experiences
1: yeah so you know for example there's nothing sexy about a startup um, it's if you're lure if you're if there's an allure for you around starting up a business because you think it's sexy don't go into it um, <laughs> right. don't don't do it right so what i've learned is it's usually something that's somewhat of a boring product or service that people don't realize that they have a need for. They haven't been educated on that they have a need for it. There's also, you know, there's a there's a book called Blue Ocean Strategy, right?
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: blue Ocean are those things, right? Someone says, "Wow, I wish I had, you know, I wish I had thought of that." Um, and then there's the Red Ocean where people want to get into uh, low margin you know, commodity-based uh, business or service, which are usually short-lived mm-hmm. unless there's some type of market consolidation where you can control it and roll it up underneath you so you can control that market. But still, it's relatively low margin, um, high volume. But, uh, you know, your, your gut tells you after you've spoken to a lot of people that it's usually the people that are just kind of heads down, grinding it out, um, put in endless hours start businesses on their credit cards, they don't give up control to investors, you know, things like that. There's, there's a lot of red flags that I'll hear um, early on in a conversation that'll let me know if this is on a good path or a questionable path for someone that's considering doing that.
0: So what would be some red flags that if uh, there's some startups or small business owners right now that maybe they're doing, you say, oh, you might want to pivot and find a, another strategy
1: the first thing is, is find a good wingman uh, or wing person, right? So to think that you can do this all by yourself is, is unrealistic. You have to have someone that's going to help shepherd things with you along and you got to learn how to delegate. You know, someone, if, if I sense that someone's very close and they can't delegate, delegate, that tells me that, that business will be short lived or very limited in its opportunity for growth. Ah. But
0: that, that,
1: that's a, that's a big red flag. It's trust it's It's understanding yourself as an individual as an entrepreneur. Um, if you really understand yourself and your limitations, then you can really, really appreciate bringing in someone and it's okay if they if they're if there's someone that wants to be a um, you know they want to celebrate the success of the business whether it's a partner or however it's structured, but knowing what you need and how to identify it early on that's really critical um, otherwise you're always reacting to uh, a market condition or a competitor it, it, it really prevents you from being pro- proactive if, if you can't identify those weaknesses and bring in additional people capacity who are good at that that can help guide you and and uh and and mentor you in those areas
0: right and now would you say now you focus more on uh, startups or more on established organizations
1: I, I love established organizations. The, start, the startup space, I would probably transition to almost doing startup pro bono for people uh, maybe later on in life. But it's, um, I, I like the established businesses. I like the large publicly traded multinational companies um, are interesting, but it's usually that SMB, small to medium-sized business, established that are, they have the most opportunity for growth. If, and and I, can, I can tell real quick, there's, there's a litmus test from a brand standpoint, uh, from a market position standpoint, competition. There's a little uh, calculation, if you will, that I, that I, I leverage to, to kind of gauge where are they. And there's, you know, the folks that I have the, I would say the privilege to work with, they they know what they're really good at and they really know where they want to go and they want to they want to get started on that journey you know they're mm-hmm. they want to they want to grow they want to they want to delegate um that would be the the dna of the type of company that I like to work with
0: so as a consultant i know i'm i'm sure that there is that element of the brand awareness that you shared, that sometimes we see these, uh, you know, these large companies and multinational companies that are, you know, everybody knows, everybody's heard of. And then all these small to medium business, there's so many of them that most people have never heard of that are bringing in and employing, you know, hundreds of thousands of people potentially, if not, of course, thousands, and having a huge impact on their community and, and so forth. How do you navigate that what, like as you shared your litmus test it, it's surprising how many businesses there are out there that we've never heard of that are doing phenomenal things
1: yeah they're they're operating in a space where those big publicly traded multinationals cannot operate effectively and efficiently that, i mean that that's the key to it you know so there' are there
0: different sectors are- because it's just it's not even a a similar uh, vertical or is it a you know they're, they're somewhat competitors. They just can't be as effective. They can't be
1: as effective. Um, and if, if you know, you can, it's the old saying, right? It can't be all things to all people. Right. So if, if you're in a niche, a high-value niche with a good brand, uh, you're going you're, you're gonna to quickly find that if you engage with your marketplace, engage with your clients and understand it and then align your messaging with that, that it's going to resonate. They're going to listen. They're going to understand real quick That, you know, what you do, high value, high value to their business, high value to the goals and objectives that they've established for their business.
0: Right on. So you shared earlier about like engagement and uh, the CEOs and so forth as a consultant. And I've had this challenge as well sometimes is getting the buy-in from the CEOs, the ones who are I could do it all myself what are some of the maybe challenges you've had in dealing with um, getting high-level buy-in because obviously the mindset necessary to create that has to have a certain amount of like certainty and confidence that they could do it. Um, So there's always that potential obstacle. How do you navigate that? That's
1: a good question. So early on in our conversation today, you know, I had a perception of you when we mm-hmm. were young right and there's a posi- there's a perception of executives at companies you know big powerful people well news flash they're just people they're just mm-hmm. like you and me they have their own fears they have their own insecurities they have their own passions about things and and i mentioned earlier engaging in a socratic dialogue is is highly effective when you know you're not you're not necessarily selling anything to anybody. You want to understand what they want to do and what they believe their challenges are and ask them why. You know, mm-hmm. Why do you feel that way? Why is that an issue? Tell me more about that. And and really have them explain to you kind of what that current state is in their mind, in the business. And it's not necessarily selling them or getting, getting their buy-in. It's helping them understand that you know, there's potential here for your organization, for you and your role. There's a there's an acronym called WIFM, right? What's in it for me? And, and a lot of humans, every human, you know, they kind of lead their life.
0: Ooh, lost you again.
1: And uh, yeah. I'm back. Yeah. Someone call me. Okay. But, uh, you know, so understanding what, what, what is driving them. Now, what's in it for me, from an executive standpoint, it could be, um, you know, some type of reward, socially, financially, whatever it is, for whatever the mission, goal, and objective is for their business. And the challenges could be, most of the time, the challenge is alignment and communication and yeah. buy-in. And then the changes that you make, are they sustainable? Can they be replicated? And then can through replication, can it be, Driven deeper into the organization, and, and and there's companies out there that people scratch their head, like like you said, there's these these companies we've never heard of, and you wonder why they're so successful. They're they're juggernauts in their own way. They have this culture about them. Um, you know, people will point to like an Elon Musk and, and some of his companies and things like that. But you know, it's 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 palatable. It's 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 like Apple, for example. When you're there at that company, there's no doubt that there's a, there's a way and there's a culture there. And that's what drives their innovation, their alignment with the, the voice of their customers and, 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 the, and the like. So it's, uh, when you get there, those are the companies that all of a sudden you, know, you, you see explode onto the scenes because I've used the term, they have violent alignment, violent agreement internally that this is our mission, this is what we're doing, this is why it's important. This is why it's important professionally, for me as an individual, personally, financially, and um, there's a genuine belief, and, and rightly so, in most cases, that what they're doing is going to help. Uh, it's going to help uh, an individual. it's going to help another organization. <clears throat> you know, if I think back to the days with Citrix, you know the concept of server-based computing was basically just a rebranding of mainframe computing. But the way it was delivered was, you know, any application, any device, over any connection, anywhere in the world, and it didn't sound like a big deal back then. But people loved the idea because it was easy to manage. You know, you you know, fast forward to today and everything that's been going on the last three months. Well, companies like Zoom and Citrix, you know, Citrix owns Go to Meeting and all that, and. Uh, you see how important that is to people's lives, to be able to stay connected and work remotely and securely and things like that. So um, I hope that answers the question a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well, it was trying to get into the, that idea of connecting with the CEO or the decision maker to bring a product. And the challenge sometimes becomes if they think that they're already doing what you can bring. Um, and like, as an example, you talked about the, the violent alignment to me, that is aligned mission, vision, and values of course, is, as part of the the process and, and to, to what degree I'm hallucinating that the, a company that would usually connect with you may already have some of that in place and they're looking to move the needle, you know, like to, to, because they're already smart, right? And that's the challenge. Like a smart company that gets to that point knows they need to bring people in. Do you see any patterns in what you bring and where the gaps are? Yeah, well,
1: there's one uh, canary in the coal mine that I, I can point to, and it's, it's commitment. So though those CEOs, those leaders are committed, unequivocally committed to sustaining and growing their organization and it's obvious because they've gotten to a certain point and there's a trajectory that they have and they've gotten to that point and they're committed that they're going to sustain and grow it and you can tell in a conversation if someone's committed and and you ask them those open question open-ended questions about how they got there kind of like what we're talking about now Mm -hmm. and and you'll sense really really quick yeah this person is committed, they're serious about it. And then the other traits as far as delegation and trust, uh, you know, all of those other kind of telltales are there. And that's, you know, that's kind of the you know, that's the indicator at from my perspective that this is a good situation and this is someone that really is committed to growing the organization. And they're typically a servant leader. Um I mean I, I know that's kind of a fashionable term. Uh, but if there's one thing that I've learned, and it's just through experience, it's not, this is not something that was preached to me in some college class. Servant leaders are able to rapidly get things done. Uh, they they know the importance of the team seeing that they're personally invested in mm-hmm. the team succeeding. Okay. And granted, everybody wants to, wants, you know, in a team, if it's sales, for example, you know, if you have really good sales resources, they all want to be the top eagle. You know, they all want to succeed. They all want to hit their goals and things like that. But there's, there's a sense of camaraderie. And, and if you have the right people in the boat, they understand how much stronger and successful they can be. If they've got this team around them supporting them that share those values, and if they have a leader that is going to say, I'm there for you. What do you need? How can I help? Are there any roadblocks? Things like that. And more importantly, when you ask those questions, take action on it. So people see that, you know something, this is not just lip service that I'm getting. This person is gonna take this. they're gonna take action and help.
0: And that's huge. And what's so interesting as we have this conversation is, a company is just like a person. It's just a, a, a macrocosm of the microcosm of a person. We all Absolutely. have those parts. To be successful, you've got to be committed. You've got to be able to know your strengths and you know celebrate your strengths and you know find someone to fill the gap on your weaknesses and not have an ego about it that doesn't make you a bad person or unsuccessful or anything. It actually makes you, and, and that's the dichotomy that we all run is that vulnerability to go, hey, you know what? That's not my strength suit. That's not my strong suit. I'm I'm my strengths are in X and I need to leverage Y and celebrate that person when they bring whatever that is. Even and I'm sure you've had that happen, those servant leaders will give you and your organization credit for whatever contributions, whatever awareness, whatever support and service. They would, you know, give you the accolades and thank you and say, wow, if it wasn't for Rick and it wasn't for the, you know, what's the name of your company? Richmond McCabe and Clark. Richmond McCabe and Clark. If it wasn't for, you know, Richmond McCabe and Clark, we would be plateauing instead of growing the rate that we are.
1: That's, so that's an interesting point. Way back when, when I started getting on LinkedIn and connecting professionally with people on that platform... Uh, there were some folks that, you know, there's the recommendations tab mm-hmm. and I didn't think much of it. And actually I was kind of shy about it. I'm like, gosh, do I really want to bug the these folks? Well, these are yeah. these are clients, right? And, and and we had a business relationship and, and LinkedIn is kind of a personal relationship on an individual level. Uh, but I was really surprised and frankly humbled by some of the things that people would say unsolicited. You know, we basically when you work with someone and it's very intense, especially with some of these large organizations, you become friends with these mm-hmm. people. Um, you connect with them and you kind of understand all the different pressures that they have at work and, uh, and at home and, and just in general. And it's uh, when someone sends something like that to you unsolicited, it's, it's a learning experience. You know, you're, you know, to have someone say how you impacted them as an individual or their organization for me, it was a validator that, yep, I'm doing the right thing. Being passionate about this is, is, uh, is the right path for me. So, yeah, it, it made me feel really good. That's, a, that's an example of over the years, um, people say things like that, and the feedback that you get makes you feel like you're really making a difference. And I know that sounds so corny. But, well, the um, psycho
0: remuneration is is important. I mean, everybody needs it, and that's what a great yeah. leader will do is know that they can give credit to someone and give them, you know, that feeling that I mean, it's one of our needs that significance. To go, okay, cool. I've been acknowledged. I I add value because um, mm-hmm. that's what we're saying for leaders. It's one of the things that um, you know the. The work I do is similar to yours and I'm working with a leader is supporting them in making sure that they're appreciating the hard work and the, you know, how people go above and beyond because if you don't acknowledge it, they'll stop doing it.
1: Yeah. I learned that at the large organizations, you know, if leadership doesn't have some type of recognition formalized program for the folks that are helping them achieve these goals... Um, people are much less inspired to be committed. I use that term before, to be yeah. committed to getting things done. And frankly, at large organizations, you know, people put in, everyone does, but especially at these large organizations, people are trying to get ahead. They're putting in long hours, lots of travel, working on a weekend, being away from their family and kids. And if you don't recognize that or if you just decide to, you know, Radically change direction every five or ten years,
0: yeah. And without gonna, without talking to your team and kind of going, exactly, "Hey, what do you guys think? Lose. Where do you see challenges?"
1: Yeah, you're you're going to lose the commitment asap. Yep. So, and that's just what I learned. I'm not preaching that. That's from experience. And I've right. I've had folks over the years that you know I'll come in and you know I'm sponsored by the the executives at the company, and you know you have those initial. Meet and greets and you'll sit down and they'll say, Hey, do you mind if I close the door? And they close the door and you get ready to get unloaded on. And they're gonna say things like, You know, we did this thirty years ago, or we've done this three times in the last thirty years. Why is this different? You know, I've invested boom, 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 time, away for my family, travel, and you really get to hear people's frustration. The the leadership may have changed in those, you know, four times in those thirty years. And direction and all this other stuff and start to really understand that kind of that situation that that person and this, these organizations, that's a perfect example that you gave before is these are just large organisms of humans. Yep. That's all they are. And, uh, once you damage that it's, it's really hard to recover from, right?
0: Oh yeah. It's like a
1: heart attack. You lose part of that muscle.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, it's so true is finding organizations that appreciate their most, you know, valuable asset, which is their human capital. Yeah. Very often. I've seen
1: seen large organizations. They can, they can see the vulnerability in one of their competitors because of that. And, and you see the wheels start to spin on how they're either going to take them out or acquire them when they're at their weakest point. Um, And it's, you know, it's not a science. It's they, you you can you can smell it from a mile away. You can see it from a mile away when the organization's weak.
0: So uh, with that being said, there's going to be some interesting times ahead um, with that. Now, do you, I, I know it's probably, you know, we're coming up on time here. It's just the last couple of minutes here. And I know it's probably a much, we could have a larger conversation about this. What do you think most companies are going to be doing as they start, pulling back out. Do you think, you know, the smart ones will invest and bring on consultants, bring on coaches, help unify or do you, are you thinking it might be so far into the red that they're just in survival cut as much as possible to just, you know,
1: it depends it depends on the the market segment and it depends on the the type of reserves that these companies have, but for the for the small to medium-sized business and medium, I mean up to $500 million in revenue, um, they're going to have to really focus. Uh, they're going to have to invest. They're going to have to be um, the level of intensity of coming out of this. You, you need to create that inertia. Um, you can't respond. You have to be proactive. You have to engage with your market, engage yep. with your clients, engage with your employees. It has to be stepped up probably tenfold because we've never experienced this before where things have just been flat out shut down. And unfortunately there's going to be a lot of businesses that don't recover that are in the service industry. For example, Uh, you'll see a large consolidation in consulting. You'll see some of the senior consultants just completely leave the market because they're saying to themselves, I'm 65, I'm 60. I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, um, for lifestyle reasons, financial reasons, whatever. Um, But for folks our age, uh, there's a huge opportunity to help people stay focused and stay, you know, staying positive sounds kind of hokey, but if you really are committed and you believe in what you're doing, you know, delivering a product or service and you know that it's helping people, that I can't think of a better time to be more focused than now. Uh, Because if you don't do it and if, if it doesn't occur, well, all those goals and objectives that were based on that were for nothing.
0: Right. Well, you know, I'm looking forward to hopefully some more opportunities to work with you and, and help with that mission because I, I believe in people. I believe that, you know, organizations, as we shared, are people run and that if we can support the humanity, the, you know, personhood of the organization, we can help the organization. Um, ultimately, you know, my strengths are, you know, in different areas, but I, I know that it's still on the human level. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, Absolutely. it's going to be, I, I can't amazing.
1: tell you how much I appreciate you having me on, Doug.
0: Oh, dude, this was, um, you know, you're obviously one of the first people I'd, I've only been doing this for a couple of weeks now. So you're, you know, definitely. Uh, someone I wanted to connect with and and share because you're doing amazing things and and i just uh, i love and respect you as a brother and i'm I'm glad that you know we have that history as interesting as it is that's what makes it cool right it's absolutely it's it's, it's an amazing thing so who how can we get in touch with you as we we wrap up here? How can someone, if they wanted to learn more about you, about uh, your organization? Just
1: send me an email. Just send me an email, rhulse at rmcpartners.com.
0: rholz at rmcpartners.com. Exactly. Awesome, brother. Well, thank you so much for dedicating your most valuable asset, which is your time. Um, And I know with all things are starting to kick in right now. So I really do appreciate it. And um, I look forward to more rock with you. And of course, anything I can do to support you, I am here. Appreciate it. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, brother. We'll see you very shortly. All right. Good things ahead. Bye-bye. God bless, man. Thank you so much for stopping by and hanging with us. And remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast right here. And we look forward to serving you even more. Remember, download your free guided hypnotic meditation at guidedhypnotic.com. That's guidedhypnotic.com where you'll get your free anxiety-busting meditation. We look forward to serving you, and if you have any questions, comments, please feel free to reach out. All right, we love you for who you are and who you aren't. God bless.